Next hour on most of these the same frequencies. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Today we are going to talk about a rather serious topic, the future. This is Cracking the Code with Sadir Ispahani. In this episode, a conversation with Dr. Raymond Choi, co-founder and general partner at Valley Capital. As a teenager, Choi planned to shadow a computer programmer because he thought that's what he wanted to be. I ended up shadowing a, an orthopedic surgeon because the computer programmer guy I was supposed to shadow totally flaked out last minute. Shadowing a doctor opened Choi's eyes to a career in medicine. Then I became a physician, and now as an investor and a physician, I'm trying to combine a lot of those things. Being open-minded has brought him luck. I think I've been incredibly lucky up until this point, and I think, honestly, part of that is, is just remaining open-minded to opportunities, to things, um, to ideas. Dr. Choi's skills as a Silicon Valley fund manager have been enhanced by his work as an emergency room doctor, something he still does several days each month. As the ER physician, you're always, you're, you're seen as the, you're the captain of the ship and you get very sick patients who come in and most of the times for these patients, you're trying to solve, figure out the problems and solve them very efficiently, very quickly in a, in a team of people. You cannot lose your temper. You, you, you always have to be calm and you always have to be very methodical. Now your guide for Cracking the Code, Sudhir Ispahani. Raymond, welcome to Cracking the Code. It's a privilege uh, knowing you as a friend, as a colleague, and having observed you in the world of business and in the world of technology here in Silicon Valley. I must say uh, I'm always in awe of your uh, expertise, capabilities, and your curiosity to learn. Today we have uh, with us our guest, Dr. Raymond Choi, co-founder general partner of Valley Capital Partners. Raymond, uh, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. No, thank you, Sadir. Uh, I'm honored to be here, you know, on your podcast. You know, we've been friends for quite some time now, and I've always admired you and the way that you've given back to the community, you know, and uh, I really appreciate you inviting me to your, your podcast. Thank you, Raymond. I appreciate it. This, as you know, is a, is a podcast that talks a little bit about life lessons what all of us tend to learn early on from our childhood all the way to, you know, our successes in, in the current world we live in. And uh, a lot of times I uh, I like to bring back our guests to the early days of childhood to walk us through the journey. And I'm sure the tremendous insights you you will share. And I've had the privilege of learning a few of those from you and hearing those from you, learning from you that I know it'll be tremendous value to our audience. So thank you for joining us. Take us back to uh, your early days of childhood, a little bit about where you grew up, mom and dad, uh, siblings, you know, what life was like growing up for you. Sure, sure. Yeah, I consider myself um, pretty lucky. I um, I was born in New York City. Both my you know parents immigrated from China. Um, they actually met in New York City and got married there. Had both my brother and myself at the same time, so I'm twins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I consider myself you know very lucky to grow up with my brother. You know, we're very close. Dad uh, was a chef, and my mom was a seamstress in New York, and they moved to Toledo, Ohio, of all places, uh, when I was seven. 
and they started a small uh, restaurant, Chinese restaurant in mm -hmm. Toledo. Yeah, that's actually where I spent most of my childhood. I stayed in Toledo from, you know, when I was seven until I was 18. And yeah, I mean, I think in, in the Choi household, you know, my parents, I consider both my brother and I to be very lucky because our parents have always been very supportive. I think just instilled in us very strong values very early on, gave us a lot of independence and responsibility very early on. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was just a function of running a family business, right? They needed a lot of help, you know. So my brother and I, at a fairly young age, would help them at the restaurant. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a variety of roles. Like we were, you know, vegetable cutters and dishwashers and busboys and you name it, we did it. And actually, that was a lot of fun. Actually, we, we, we really enjoyed that, you know. It was very good um, family bonding time when we were young. And... Even like things like their taxes, you know, I learned at a very early age how to do um, their taxes and, and, and help them a lot with that because their English wasn't uh, that great. Yeah, I think I think just watching them work hard, watching them be entrepreneurial to start something uh, was a huge inspiration to me and my brother, my brother and I. We didn't have a whole lot. I mean, we were, you know, middle class family, but we just appreciated the things that they taught us very early on. So I went to Cleveland in Case Western in Ohio to do my um, undergrad. My brother went to Miami, so we went to different colleges. We had to get away from each other for a couple of years. And, you know, and actually it's interesting because I thought for a very long time that I wanted to be a computer programmer because I thought technology was really cool. Mm -hmm. I ended up shadowing a, an orthopedic surgeon uh, last minute because the computer programmer guy I was supposed to shadow uh, totally kind of flaked out last minute, you know, mm -hmm. dropped dropped on me last minute. And so I shadowed my friend's dad, who's an orthopedic surgeon. And, you know, I, I just loved, I loved shadowing him. I loved the pace. I loved, you know, how you're able to help people and make a difference every day. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to college, I was really... I was really focused on on doing, uh, you know, studying to become a physician. I always had this nagging feeling that I would, you know, do business someday, probably from, you know, just watching my parents do run their business and being involved in it. Um, you know, so, you know, undergrad, I, I, I was really focused on really just academics, right? Graduated with a, a bachelor's degree in chemistry, minored in Asian studies and biology. And um, subsequently, I won a fellowship to go to England to study at, um, at Oxford for a year. I got my master's there. It was a really fun year. Uh, then came back and uh, did my medical school at, um, at Stanford in California. Uh, I must say, when I interviewed and, you know, driving down Palm Drive, it was like, it was, that's the best selling point, you know, <laughs> we really fell in love with the school and, and ended up, ended up going there and, you know, had a really great time. And, you know, usually med school is four years. For a very long time, thought I wanted to become a brain surgeon, actually, believe it or not. You know, did a lot of neuroscience research, spent a lot of time in the, in the OR with with the brain surgeons at Stanford, and you know, it's it just really felt like something was missing. Like I felt like my career was becoming more and more narrow. Maybe I don't know if narrow is the right word, but maybe just specialized, right? More and more focused, and you know, just I, I wasn't sure that was where I wanted to go because I wanted to do a lot more things in in business potentially. Um, I thought that potentially, like thinking about how I can make the largest impact possible. You know, I think in in business, you you know, have that capability of potentially impacting people on a much larger scale than one patient at a time. 
So, you know, decided not to do neurosurgery and I was very lucky to meet a couple of guys in this uh, course called Stanford Biodesign. They put you in this course with an uh, engineer. Uh, well, you, they have teams of people, right? And each team has a medical student, an engineer and an MBA student at Stanford. And that's actually, you know, where I met, um, you know, my co-founders of my first company that I started. And we were very lucky. I mean, uh, back then, this is about 10 years ago, we... Uh, right off the bat, got funded by a, a fund called Kleiner Perkins. You know, had some very supportive bem- uh, board members, right? Brooke Byers and Dana Mead were both on our board at the time. And, you know, that's kind of like the rest is kind of history. You know, I think just had a very open mind in terms of what I wanted to do. And the people around me were very supportive. That's actually where I met my co-founder for Valley Capital Partners, Steve O'Hara. He was starting his third company at the time at the mm-hmm. Kleiner Incubation Offices. And, you know, uh, Steve was a mentor to me. He's, you know, obviously been um, very successful in his career, started and exited three companies. Um, He's angel, been a very successful angel investor. And so learned a lot from him, just kept an open mind, right? Mm -hmm. After three years, you know, kind of I, I hit the limit for what Stanford would allow me to do, by the way. They kind of asked me what I wanted to do, if I was going to come back. And I kind of made the decision at that point to do it just because I, I did want to finish my training. I worked out a deal with Steve to work with him and finish residency. And that's kind of how I did it. He actually, well, he recruited me to the fund kind of during the same time that I was going to start residency. Mm-hmm. And so I was helping him with deals, helping him with, you know, some of the fundraise, right? You know, subsequently, you know, I, I finished residency and, and you know, we, we decided to raise uh, raise another fund um, and uh, where I would, you know, just take a, a larger role as a, as a fund manager. Um, and so, you know, the rest is kind of history from there. We've made, you know, a number of investments now and Steve and I are working very well t- together on this fund. And, and, you know, looking back, I mean, it's kind of crazy how kind of everything evolved because, you know, in each step of the way, you know, it's kind of like these big decisions to make, you know, to do residency or, or just focus on a career in, in, in business. And, you know, I mean, for a couple of years there, I was definitely burning the, the, what's the, uh, burning the candle from both ends. But, you know, I, you know, I feel very lucky and very privileged honestly, because, you know, I, I have the privilege of being able to take care of patients, right? Um, I ended up, by the way, finishing a residency in emergency medicine at Baylor. That was that was a great experience. You know, I took mm-hmm. care of a lot of sick patients. Um, I like the ER because it doesn't matter, you know, if you're old or, you know, sick or rich or poor, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what race you are. I mean, you just need to get taken care of. You know, that's all that's always been a good reminder, I think, for me, because, you know, I, I'm kind of in the fun world now, you know, investing in these really amazing entrepreneurs and working with um, really sort of amazing investors and partners like yourself and others. And I think, you know, being exposed to those folks, but at the same time, always being reminded of kind of, you know, why you're doing something, mm-hmm. um, I think has been very kind of helpful just for, I don't know, just for my uh I don't know what's the word for it, you know, but for, uh, yeah, but it's been good. It's what an amazing career you've had. And I know you're, you've still got a whole life ahead of you. Mm-hmm. You're not a 60 year old guy, like headed towards, oh, no. you know, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's wonderful to hear the kind of experiences you've had, but let me come back again a little bit to the early days of childhood. And I mean, clearly, uh, you know, mom and dad were hardworking, hearing you talk, they start a restaurant. Uh, I'm sure uh, what I hear of restaurants and their hard work and, and long hours. 
flowers and all of that. What were some of the things, you know, life is about morals and values and ethics and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you in the early days observed those, those key values from your parents and your siblings, etc. What were some of the things that you learned and observed from both mom and dad? The number one thing is generosity. You know, I'll be frank, like I've, my dad and my mother are both, if you ask anyone in our family, they're the kinds that, you know, if they give their shirt off their back, you know, mm-hmm. before, um, e- even if they needed it, they would give it to someone, right? They're uh, extremely generous. And my dad always reminded us that, he always reminded us that it's important to be generous to others and not expect anything in return. You know, he's, you know, I don't know where he he got that from, you know, but that's just been one of his things that he's very, he's instilled in us and he's done that his entire life. If you look at, I mean, what he's done, um, he's, you know, he's comes from a big family. Both my parents do. My dad has seven brothers and sisters. My mom has eight brothers and sisters. And on my dad, on my dad's side, he was able to get pretty much everyone from China to come to his restaurant in, in Ohio at one point or another. And they, they were able to immigrate over here. They were able to work at the restaurant, get up, get on their feet. A lot of my cousins were able to work there and, and, and do and, and actually study in college until they were ready to move on with their careers. And so, yeah, I think he's, he's kind of given a lot to the, to the family. Yeah, and I think that's been um, a really big life lesson for both myself and my brother. And you know, I think his his ethos of kind of kind of being generous to others, giving giving to others, and not expecting in return. He always kind of reminds us also that you know, if you do that, you're actually you you, you become more lucky if you don't expect anything. You just do it. People tend to like you more, and I think he's actually right about that. You know, in, in everything I do, whether it's with my family or with uh, emergency medicine or with, you know, the fund, mm. uh, I think kind of going in with that mentality for the people that we work with or the, or the people that we meet, it's, it's, it's actually been really helpful mm. in, my, in my career and the way that I operate. It's wonderful. And how about mom? You know, what did you observe from her? Or was that the same kind of trait? that you saw in both of them? Well, I think with with my mom, we we did see the same. Yeah, I mean, she did instill the same kind of value of generosity, but my mom is very protective, right? So one thing that my mom really taught us is that, hey, you know, you have to really take care of your family. So, you know, we do, um, both my wife and I, we do, um, you know, a lot of philanthropy work now, always have. And, but, you know, it's interesting, it's interesting because my mom has always told us, you know, you can't really take care of others unless your family is well, you know, so making sure that you spend enough time with, you know, your parents, you spend enough time with your wife and your kids. So I, I think that's the biggest takeaway from my mom, actually. Um, mm-hmm. She's very, very protective over the family. And that's been very helpful. I think that's been a blueprint. Of course, I just got married pretty recently, as you know, Sidir. <laughs> so, so I'm uh, reminded of that a lot. Yeah. And that's kind of the approach I take with actually my, my marriage, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and making sure that, you know, my wife is, you know, always taken care of. And we have a little one on the way. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited about that. And so just making sure that the little one and the whole family is 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 taken care of is is important. Did you I mean you're clearly looking at your, you know, your career and what you're doing now. I mean, but growing up, did you think you're going to end up where you where you are today or did you sort of was that predefined for you by parents or did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Mm. 
Yeah, not at all. I I knew I wanted to do something really interesting. Um, I like to be intellectually challenged. I knew I knew that. I think sort of the way that I approached my my you know obviously my career has been very nonlinear. I think I've tried to be as open minded as possible. And again, I you know it's interesting. I, I always come back to this notion of luck. I think I've been uh, up until now, knock on wood, okay, that it continues this way. But uh, I think I've been incredibly lucky up until this point. And I think, honestly, part of that is is just remaining open-minded to opportunities, to mm-hmm. things, um, to ideas. I approach the investments that we do the same way. I like to go into an investment with, an, uh, with a beginner's attitude. I don't like to assume too many things. And I think that's been really helpful, you know, like being open-minded to start a company, mm-hmm. being open-minded to, you know, start a fund. I, if you asked me even, you know, seven years ago, whether or not I would ever do a fund and I, I, it wouldn't have even crossed my mind. And I think that, you know, being influenced, I think from, from some of the people around me and, and just being open-minded to opportunities and ideas has been, um, has been really helpful. And I think that started actually when I was very young, because I mean, if you remember, I wanted to be a, a computer programmer, right? right? Then it was then I became a physician. And now as, uh, as an investor and a physician, I'm trying to combine a lot of those things, right? Yes, we enter, you know, as a fund and uh, at Valley Capital Partners, we invest in enterprise companies. But, right. you know, given my background, I have a healthcare bent and we're able to help some of our non-healthcare companies get into the healthcare system. I think just kind of, yeah, remaining open-minded, like I said, is, is, has been very, very important. The other thing, you know, that one of the things we try to talk a little bit about on this podcast is about leadership and leadership lessons and, you know, some of those you learn early on to starting mm-hmm. again with your parents, mm-hmm. you know, but also then as you sort of evolve into life and in your case, what a incredible base of experiences you've had all the way from in your academic career from Oxford to Stanford to the best institutions in the United States here. A lot of observation, a lot of learning. What were some of those early lessons you picked up on leadership? Yeah, it's a good question. There's a couple of things that come to mind. I think one is humility. You know, kind of going to a lot of these big institutions, I'm just a, I'm just a simple guy from Ohio. You know, I'm from the <laughs> Midwest and I grew up in a, a very kind of middle class family. Being exposed to so many smart people, so many talented people, I think, humbles you and, and it's continuing to humble me. You know, I learn a lot from a lot of the, you know, my, my partner, Steve, um, you know, you, Sadir, a lot of the, our partners and, and, and investors. And so I think just, just remaining humble and just down to earth, I think has been, has been really helpful in terms of some of the other things I've learned uh, early on. So I think that just in terms of personality, right, I think you have to figure out what type of leader you are. For me, I'm a proactive guy and I'm, I have a very high tolerance for embarrassment, I I should say, you know? (laughs) So I am not afraid to ask questions. I'm not afraid to look stupid. I'm, you know, you know, if I ask a question and it's really obvious and yeah, I don't know. I I just, I'm not as self-conscious about that. As a leader, a lot of the things I've learned, um, you know, starting a company and and learning how to manage people, how to, how to do that. and, And now running this fund along with Steve, you know, I've just been very proactive. I just ask a lot of questions to people who've done it, you know, longer than I have. They've been very successful. And I just ask them a lot of questions. I'm very proactive, I think, with that. 
you know, I, I must say I do, I do learn quickly. I do with <laughs> things, you know, I have to, <laughs> yeah, I, I think as a leader, I think that you, you do have to have that uh, one uh, critical trait, which is to learn quickly. I don't think anyone has all the answers. I think a lot of those around you, they have, they have things to add. They have perspectives, inputs that you may not have. And I think you have to be um, open-minded and humble enough to listen to them. Yeah. I think those are the, the main things, you know, that, that come to mind. And, you know, early on, you had the opportunity to co-found a startup, and I'm sure you put to practice a lot of these skills and these observations, and not just the value system you have for yourself, but also, you know, the leadership traits that you picked up from observing from others. But Mm -hmm. what would you say your leadership style is? My leadership style... Well, that's a good that's a good <laughs> question. So in general, you know, I I think my personality is I like to get things done and I like to, to get them done quickly. Now, not everyone thinks the same way or moves at the same speed, and I think that everyone solves problems different ways, they operate a different way, and mm-hmm. I think that one thing I've learned is that, you know, we did hire a, like a lot of really great people who are able to, you know, execute very well and do well, but you know, there were some people who they just had different styles, you know, and I think actually my leadership evolved. If you ask me at the very start of the company, how did I approach things? It was just, you know, let's get this done and get it done yesterday. Right. And I think that, you know, my style evolved. I, I became more patient over time. I became more more aware of people's different styles and how to communicate with them and how to maximize how, how to get the most out of their style. I think honestly, it, it, it changed over time. That's, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And of course, you, you're extremely successful and now you're playing a very different role in your fund, bringing on entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. funding them, but also helping build companies, right? Mm-hmm. Based on all these experiences. I mean, uh, you're a very warm person. I know that just from the time we've spent. And uh, the question I have for you is, what do you like to leave with people when you meet them the first time? What do you want to yeah. instill them with? Mm. What do you feel like you could leave them with to say, here are my first impressions of, of Raymond? I like to leave the impression that I'm open and available, you know, mm. in the sense that uh, maybe that's not the right word. Maybe the right word is approachable, you mm. know, always. I think that in general, my communication style is just very open, direct, transparent. Mm. And when I'm talking to anyone, doesn't matter if it's the first time or the eighth time or the Mm -hmm. 20th time. I think that, you know, I want the other person to feel like they can just be honest and very straightforward with me. And I think that builds trust Mm -hmm. and you're able to build relationships better that way. I don't know if better is the right word, but, you know, it's just like I, I, I find that it's more effective. One thing is you're you're very transparent and <laughs> you can see that when when somebody meets you. Part of leadership is is also learning what not to do as a leader. And I'm sure your incredible experiences over the last couple of decades have taught you a few mm-hmm. do not do these things as a leader. I think one thing that comes to mind is, is not losing your temper. Mm-hmm. I think you lose a lot of credibility very, very quickly in a very short amount of time. You can spend years 
months, years, building a relationship, building credibility with someone. And the moment you lose your temper, the one place actually, you know, I think that's been very good training for this is, is actually training in the in the emergency room, right? I mean, as a as the ER physician, you're always you're you're seen as the you're the captain of the ship, and you get very sick patients who come in, and most of the times for these patients, you're trying to solve, figure out the problems, and solve them very efficiently, very quickly, in a in a team of people. You cannot lose your temper. You 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 always have to be calm, and you always have to be very methodical. I think, and the times where I think that people lose credibility as a leader is when they lose their temper. I think that's an important one. And I, and I think it's not just ER. I think that's in a lot of facets of life. You know, look at the companies that we invest in. We're investing in these very um, high-performing entrepreneurs. But, you know, it's a stressful situation, right? You're, you're getting money from investors and you're trying to execute. You're trying to grow your company. And and, and it, can be, it can be stressful sometimes, you know. And so that's actually one of the qualities that I do look for in our entrepreneurs and, 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 and leaders. It's to see that they're able to, whatever it is, if they're stressed, if they're under a lot of pressure that they're able to handle that and not and not lose their temperature or sorry uh, lose their uh, temper I think that's a big one you know it's interesting to hear you say that because you know uh, one of the challenges about about building teams is personalities and people and hearing you talk about being humble and being a good listener I think that is a key attribute to good leadership so you don't really turn around and and flippantly jump on people when you actually are able to hear their viewpoint. Yeah. Yep. Tell us a little bit about you've had this nonlinear <laughs> career profile, mm-hmm. very uh, good and creates many senses. Now you're uh, running a fund. What does your day look like, and how uh, how do you motivate yourself to get? excited for the day and the things you do because very different role mm-hmm. than what you've played before. Yeah, that's a good question. So I will say the biggest change and the biggest challenge of being a fund manager is rather than, you know, medicine, for example, is you're going from a very structured environment in medicine mm-hmm. to an unstructured environment as a fund manager. Right. In the fund, there's a lot of things that you need to do, right? You need to, you know, of course, you need to source companies. You need to be a good board member to your companies. You need to help them raise money. You need to help them to uh, to do a lot of things. On the fund side, you have to make sure everything, you know, is is running on time, right? I mean, so, you, you know, as a, as a fund manager, we, we have our own investors. Mm-hmm. And so making sure that the reports are on time, their taxes and K-1s are on time, um, making sure that the auditing gets done, um, all, of, all, of the, all, all of those very um, sort of nitty gritty things. And then, you know, of course, you have, you know, your relationships with your, with your investors. You have to make sure that um, they understand what you're doing, right? to maintaining that relationships and, and, you know, sort of bigger picture, you know, growing the fund, you know, managing a team. And, and I think that there's just a lot of different facets of it. So my day can vary wildly. I mean, it could be, you know, you know, we're working on a deal right now that we're very excited about Sidir. And so, you know, we're very focused on that deal. Of course, we have a lot of other obligations that we're doing now as well. Um, so you have to keep those things running on time uh, mm-hmm. while you're also, while we're also focused on this, on this deal. You know, I, I think, yeah, there, there's just a lot of different facets of it. 
it. And I think the most important thing is, you know, just to stay disciplined. I think that's mm -hmm. um, not easy to do. To kind of turn an unstructured environment and, and, and creating some structure around it is interesting. So, for example, you know, like now, like I never used to think about this, but, you know, we have investors in Hong Kong, for example. Uh, we have investors in Canada. We have investors you know, all over the United States. And so Australia, yeah, it's Australia. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sometimes we get up really early to, to make their time zone or so it depends. So sometimes we do those phone calls really late at night or really early in the morning. And, you know, our days are, they could be meeting with a lot of entrepreneurs. It could be meeting with um, potential customers for our right. company. So yeah, the, the day can, can vary. And, you know, throughout all of this, of course, I still practice very part-time, just a couple days a, a month. And on the medical side? On the medical side. And that's evolved over time, right? Um, and, you know, just making sure to fit that in to, so I, keep, I can keep my skills up, right, has been really important. So, yeah, I think sort of you just have to be, I think, as the, the bottom line is uh, to be a, try to be as disciplined as possible, I think. Uh, I think the second part of your question is how do I stay motivated? Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, my partner Steve and I are, we're trying to build something. We're trying to build a, a firm. We're trying to build a company that uh, has, a, has a legacy, right? Mm -hmm. Has a long lasting legacy. We want to, you know, back these entrepreneurs that will go on to do amazing things, right? Mm -hmm. Come up with technologies that um, change people's lives. And I think, you know, we have that vision and we mm -hmm. have that idea that that's that's meaningful to, to us yeah. yeah what what needs to happen and and how we're going to get there and I, that's meaningful to the both of us so i think that that keeps us motivated and i think um family keeps me motivated too i'm very close with my family my parents my my wife of course and and yeah and and the little one on the way hopefully mm -hmm. right so um so i think that that keeps me very motivated and i think you know my, my wife and i we're, we're just you know we uh you know we're not flashy people we don't live crazy lifestyles. But, you know, the one thing that honestly, that just had so much meaning for me personally was, you know, I recently bought a, an apartment, a co-op in New York for my parents because they mm -hmm. wanted to retire there. And that's always something that they, that they wanted. And, you know, finally I'm able to, you know, give that to them. Yeah. It's really, it's really, really satisfying, you know, more than anything else, uh, you know, that I could buy or whatever, it doesn't really matter to me that much, but being able to give that to them is, has been really amazing. You know, I mean, that's one of the proudest things I've ever done, honestly. So I think, yeah, they, they, these guys, uh, you know, my, you know, my family, they, they definitely keep me motivated and they also keep me in check by the way, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's important. Yeah. You know, part of leadership is about successful execution, you know. How do you define what successful execution is? I'm sure it's different when you're in the, as a doctor in, in ER. Mm -hmm. It's clearly different for you running a fund. Give us a little insight into what successful execution means for you, how you satisfy yourself to say, got that done, mm -hmm. it's good. Here's the thing. Of course, like part of it is just as a fund, at the fund, it's actually fairly straightforward, right? I mean, of course, we want to back our, you know, entrepreneurs and we want to help them uh, scale their companies and become successful. But, you know, we do have our investors. And so, of course, our, our fund, fund, fund performance is really important, right? So that that's one metric of success, right? You know, I think now at my age... Um, I always thought, oh, you know, you need to, you know, it's all about execution, execution, execution to do X, Y, Z, do this. You know, we've done, you know, eight deals in the past, you know, 12 months, right? For example. Oh, that's, that's great. But actually more and more as I've gotten older, I think it actually really comes down to your decision making mm -hmm. and your judgment. 
And that a lot of that comes from experience. Yeah. So, you know, at a fun, at the fun level, it's like making the right decisions, backing the right people, the right entrepreneurs, the right companies. And which you know, is hard work, which is hard work, man. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people say, oh, it's easy to be a fund manager. It's like a great lifestyle. Like I, I you know, if that's the case, I have not experienced that you know? so, <laughs> as a, as a physician, you know, now at this stage, you know, finishing residency practice, uh, out of practice for a few years now, I think that, you know, the execution part is down, but it's a lot of just making the right decisions. You know, mm-hmm. was this patient appropriately admitted? Did you diagnose this, qu- uh, you know, this patient quickly enough? Did you treat them, you know, appropriately? So I think it, it comes down to, I think just that, yeah, the decision making of your judgment call on things have been correct, you know? So I think kind of yeah, that has always, uh, that's also evolved over time in terms of how I think about that. That's wonderful to hear. You know, hearing you talk, we can probably spend another hour on this podcast. I'm sure there will be a future series as a follow-on <laughs> as we track your incredible success in life and leadership. But we've got to slowly bring this down to a wind. But I have a few more questions for you, you know. I mean, success means different things to different people. What does it mean to Raymond Choi? First and foremost, it means, you know, I'm a family first guy. So my family is is happy. They're healthy. I think that's the first thing. And I think the second thing is really like, you know, when I'm 65, what have I done with my life? How have I given back to humanity? What, what have I done? You know, and I think uh, I would like it to be. I mean, I, of course, now I think the answer is, you know, we've built a very successful fund, backed a number of entrepreneurs, created a number of jobs, you know, mm-hmm. for people and and brought a lot of um, innovations that change people, people's lives. You know, we'll see we'll see what my answer is in, in 10 years. You know, as, as a, you know, back to what we're uh, discussing before, um, you know, just, you know, keeping an open mind and, and just being kind of you know, cognizant of the opportunities out there and, and what you can do. I'm really focused on the fun now because honestly, it's a passion of mine. I enjoy it. I have an amazing partner in Steve. So, you know, I don't foresee that changing anytime soon, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I think it comes down to the legacy, I think. That I think is very important. Yeah. yeah. Talking about legacies and all of that, I, I know you're still extremely young and you're not thinking about life in the sunset realm. But what do you want people to remember Raymond by when, like you said, when life hits you at 65 and 70 and uh, you've done all these wonderful things, but what do you want people to think of when they think of Raymond Choi? I would want them to think that this guy, he helped me. He was generous. He made a difference and he was a kind, compassionate human being. I think that's the main thing, honestly. Um, I know it's kind of strange to say that because I'm a, a, you know, ultimately, you know, I am building a fund and that's not the first thing that people think of. But I think uh, just as a person, you know, I think that's what how I want to be remembered by, you know, by my family, by my friends, by the people that I've worked with. It's been a privilege for me to get to know you and hearing you talk about those key tenants that you want to be remembered by. Uh, That's just who you are as a person. That's the little I know of you. And I really appreciate you taking the time, Raymond, to come on this show and and, uh, share a little bit of the insights about how life has taught you and brought you to so many different places and the opportunities you have had to give back. 
Oh, no, thank you, Sadir. I mean, I've frankly just learned a ton from you from knowing yeah. you over the years and, and how you've approached, you know, your life and your personal and professional career. I mean, you've helped, you know, myself and Steve a lot, you know, with, with our fund and building it. You've been, you know, tremendous. You've been tremendously helpful. We it's wouldn't be where we are. It's been a privilege and, you know, uh, that journey has been a learning journey for me also with you guys and just appreciate the friendship. I really appreciate you your family and looking forward to spending more time with you and Olivia. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We're looking forward to uh you know having the little one and I uh, love for you to meet uh meet him. Absolutely. Well. You know. Thank you again for coming on the show, Raymond. Thank you, Sudhir. Sudhir, Dr. Raymond Choi admitted he burns the candle at both ends. He completed his medical residency in a hospital emergency room while building Valley Capital. Just one of those challenges alone are more than full-time. And he brings to his work as a fund manager a perspective that few in Silicon Valley could have, his medical training, and the temperament that develops from that. He credits his parents with giving him a good start in life, helping them out by cutting vegetables in their restaurant when he was a child, learning from his father how generosity without expecting a reward in return opens up what he calls luck. And it was luck that led Choi to medical school, when he planned on becoming a computer programmer. The programmer he was supposed to shadow, as he says, flaked out and instead he shadowed a doctor at work. Well, if that computer programmer had not been so flaky, then what path would Raymond Choi have followed? Dr. Choi mentioned several times a name familiar to the early listeners of Cracking the Code, Steve O'Hara, his Valley Fund partner. And if you haven't heard that conversation, I suggest you go back to episode four and meet Steve.